0: Hello and welcome
1: to another episode of History Hack. Today we're going to be talking about something really exciting, it's a topic that everybody, everybody absolutely loves. We're going to be talking about Cleopatra. So we have Islam Essa, who is a historian, award winning writer, broadcaster, and literary critic. He's written books like Milton in the Arab Muslim World and his most recent book, Digital Milton. Welcome.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: So where are you at the moment and how's lockdown?
2: I'm in Edinburgh. Um, lockdown I guess it's got sort of positives and negatives um, my cat is in uh, happy disbelief at how much time I'm spending it. Really, so sort of on my heel the whole time so it's been uh, it's been good for him at least
1: do you know what I think all animals are happy my, my boys are ecstatic that I'm home 24 7 and then when the real world kicks in I think I think quite a lot of animals are going to get really depressed to be honest
2: Yeah, I read something about them getting um, separation anxiety and you have to like um, make sure they don't spend all day with you so that it's not too hard for them afterwards. Do
1: you know, I think I'm going to have to do that. I'm going to have to give them half to my mum and half to me and see how that one works out eventually. But we're not (laughs) here to talk about animals, even though cats are really important in Egyptian culture. When it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's
2: not it's not that much of a tangent actually, is it? Yeah, and <laughs> <I, true>. <laughs> um I'm just but they were they were completely revered, um, in ancient Egypt and actually um punishable by death if you kill the cat. Oh, really? Um, that was, yeah, that was is a severe a severe um, punishment for that. Um and you know, some of the there's, there's Bastet for example is a half half cat, half Woman goddess who is, is a really nice looking um, cat. You know, if you look, if you if you search the name Bastet, the god the goddess, she's the goddess. of all sorts of interesting things. Goddess of sexuality, for one. Um, and and there there've been some um, some findings of like mummified cats as well. So people take their cats and and um, you know to the afterlife with them. So, yeah, do you m- know much...
1: what it's? It's it's a subject that it kind of makes me sad that nowadays we don't respect our animals. When back in ancient Egypt, when we we're going back thousands and thousands of years, and they actually respected their animals so much more than we do now.
2: Yeah, it's um it's telling, especially with cats. But cats have always had this kind of mystique, haven't they? Um, yeah. So so I'm I'm staying true to my uh, Egyptian roots. Um, by uh, hanging out with my cat,
1: <laughs> maybe that's it. <laughs> So apart from cats, let's talk about let's talk about Cleopatra because um, there's obviously two different sides of Cleopatra. She's portrayed as, a, as one as a great politician. and this is how she was portrayed at home for you, wasn't she?
2: Yeah, I mean, I grew up um, in an Egyptian household, but not just that. you know she's she's a sort of symbol of Alexandria, both my parents of from Alexandria, their parents of Alexandria. Um, so at home, it, you know, she was a source of pride, um, and, uh, in, in an Egyptian household, you know, little pyramids and papyrus papers sort of everywhere as well. So, so it is a part of, 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 um, of my childhood. Um, and then as I, I studied literature I then sort of got into Shakespeare as you do and, um, and Cleopatra was, was sort of ever present, um, as an important character in that. so yeah, so, so she's been an important part of my of my uh, of my life so far. Um, that's that sense of pride, I guess it was interesting in a, in a British Egyptian context for me personally. Um, I remember going to the um, museum and art gallery in birmingham which which is where where we where I was raised and um, they had an ancient egyptian exhibition and and saying to my dad like why, why are you going to pay?" Like, we're Egyptians, shouldn't we just, shouldn't we just be allowed here? Um You know, it's probably 10 or something, but that, that's the kind of um, attachment I had to it and, a, and almost a sense of, like, ownership, I guess.
1: So let's talk about the real Cleopatra, the, the, the Cleopatra that you knew, that you learn about from your family. So tell us about her. Who was she?
2: Um, for, for us, she was a powerful um, female queen um, who transformed... Alexandria um, even beyond the great city that that it was. Um, So for example somebody who had a huge library or um, aspired to have a huge library um, and the Library of Alexandria is one one important thing for for, for anyone from Alexandria um, because it's like the it's one of the great ancient libraries and then they recently, during my childhood, um, obviously it's been lost in, antiqu- lost in antiquity. But they they rebuilt um, a magnificent library in Alexandria as well. So I spent all my summers in that kind of area. Um, so that was an important part of Cleopatra how she was well read, um, and, and we know that that was one of the most important centres of in the world—the library. So it had four hundred thousand scrolls. It was it was. Um, um, suggested actually by some historians that one of an- Antony's wedding gifts to Cleopatra includes the thousands of scrolls for that library. Um, so there was that aspect of kind of reading and knowledge um, that she was learned in, learned in sort of philosophy, astronomy. Um, so she became an intellectual. Um, and 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 recently, actually, um, one of the historians suggested that she um would dress up as a man when she was very young so that she could uh, as a boy sorry so that she could um debate um, um older men in, in, in philosophy and so on um so there's also the ling- languages so i was told that she was sort of multilingual um which is something um, a lot of the roman sources admit as well so she spoke you know, at least eight languages um a businesswoman who sort of created fashion trends. Um, so she combined sort of um, Greek, Macedonian, Egyptian clothes. Um, she wrote about beauty products. Um, so she has sort of a, a medical, uh, kind of medical book that that, that people think she wrote um, about um, cosmetics that are good for you, essentially. Uh, perfumes, so there's a room at had a Perfume Factory. There's loads. I mean, it's, it's, it's much, much more than simply her relationship with Antony or, or her relationship uh, with, with Caesar.
1: Well, mentioning Caesar, I mean, she does become the ruler of Egypt and well, Caesar does actually play a role in her gaining power because it, it does actually become quite a complicated story though, doesn't it? All of this put together.
2: Yeah, um, so when her dad dies, um, she, she's the, the ruler with, with her brother. Um, Ptolemy um, and uh, for, for a short while she's uh, exiled from Egypt, uh, she, she leaves. Um, she makes a deal with, um, with Julius Caesar and the deal is to use his armies to install her as the sole ruler of Egypt, so, so not as a co-ruler with her brother and not as her brother wanted to be sole uh, lead, uh, leader as well um, and in exchange um, so there would be uh, financial support and they'd, and they'd, they'd be allies. Um, so essentially she does use her, her relations with Caesar to um, defeat her brother, essentially, and, and uh, take over Egypt as sole ruler. Um, that does give Caesar some um, leverage in, in, in the sort of political relationship, no doubt. Um, but she um, transforms a lot of things in Egypt as a result of, of becoming the sole ruler as well.
1: So, the West and Shakespeare obviously portray her completely differently than what you 're telling us right now she 's portrayed as this heroine this seductress let 's talk about how she 's viewed to compare, to compare how she 's viewed compared to what you were taught because when she meets Caesar in our Western view, she tumbles out of this rolled up carpet she 's beautiful in it it is so over dramatized this moment. Can you talk to us a bit more about how this actually really happened rather than Elizabeth Taylor, for example, and her incredible beauty tumbling out of the carpet.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's no reason to suggest that she she wasn't um, attractive, and and um, and I find it slightly disturbing. well I did when I was when I was doing doing some research on this that, that there is such a huge interest in 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 the beauty um, because he can be attracted to her in in terms of you know her wit or her. Um, um, her knowledge or her um diplomacy, you know, there's loads of other things that, that he can personality for you know that, that he can be attracted to. Um and, and actually I think it's it's much less glamorized than, than we think it is. Um when she takes over it's very much a kind of political um alliance. Um and as soon as she takes over she has to deal with a load of stuff. She deals with huge debt to Rome, um which she manages to overcome. Um she deals with a, a, a huge famine in Egypt. There was a famine at the time as soon as she took over. And there were also these um Roman soldiers that, that were unemployed because they were no longer being used. Um and, and they were sort of running havoc in, in, in Egypt, um sort of causing trouble. So she had she had a lot to deal with. So so we've got not just the sort of physical side of of, um, of things or how she looked or how she was presented to him, we've also got the the fact that as soon as she took over, she had a huge political responsibility um, that immediately changes the narrative um, in terms of how we think of her, her relationship with Caesar or how she is presented to Caesar.
1: I mean, we are going to talk about this, uh, this myth of, of the way she looks a bit further down the line, which I actually find really interesting. But my key question is, does she actually fall in love with Caesar? I mean, she does bear him a son, but then at the same time, she's also married to her brother, Ptolemy. So it's kind of, it's just so complex at this point
2: yeah um there's there's no reason to believe I think that, that there wasn't um, some love between between her and Caesar um, at the end of the day it is, it, is, it is a political alliance but we also see until this very day um, sort of um, marriages within specific classes or um, we see um, princes and princesses you know from completely different countries still getting getting married today um, and so there is an element of, of political alliance, but there is still no reason to believe that she uh, didn't fall in love with him or that they weren't in love. Add to that, if we're thinking about the uh, inter-familial marriages, that's probably where there was no love because that's, that's what was expected of, of them at the time.
1: So at this point, she's, let's say she's in love with Caesar. She bears him a child. Um, she's ruling with her brother alongside her. How does she solidify her sole grip on the throne?
2: She solidifies her grip through those alliances with with Caesar on one hand, and through what she does with the uh, Egyptians on the other hand. So one example we we we've spoken about is um, um, how she uh, manages to overcome uh, the famine, but also she uses Egyptian language. Now, when we think that these were they were sort of Greek Macedonians, yes, they'd been ruling Egypt for three hundred. 400 years, actually. So so I don't buy the argument that she is not Egyptian. Because I think that's like saying, you know, I'm not British just because, um, you know, um, my parents weren't born here or whatever. Um, or like saying the royal family is not British, right, because they've got um, you know, European ancestry, some other European ancestry. So she, she does talk Egyptian. She, she um, uh, manages to dress like an Egyptian she uses the title of the new Isis. Uh, And the new Isis was a very popular God at the time. So she sort of reincarnates herself as a a popular uh, God. Um, And uh, Isis had these healing spells. And Isis was kind of a uh, a God for the, um, who is beneficial to all the classes of society uh, and really loved by the Egyptians. So that's a huge uh, popularity boost uh, for her as well. Um, when we look at things like the coins, we see that there are coins which are also um, um, bronze denominations. And the bronze denominations are the low-value uh, coins. So that means that she becomes a part of, of, of everyday life, that people can use the coin with Cleopatra on it to buy bread. Um, and the the, the previous um the ancestors didn't didn't think that far ahead the ancestors put their faces on the silver coins it wasn't putting, it wasn't worth putting them on the on the bronze coins so when they put, put them on the silver coins they become only a denomination that's used by the rich but cleopatra puts her face on everything so essentially she becomes um the main focal point of, of, of um, loads of people's lives um both economically uh, through the coins and the famine uh, and also religiously through through uh, being, reincarn- being reincarnation of Isis, and also in, in almost, I'm not going to say populist because it's loaded, but be in, in the popular sense of um, how she dresses and, and speaks um, and, and the voyages that she goes on down the Nile.
1: So you mentioned earlier that she spoke, was it a total of eight languages? And she actually seemed like a really accomplished, I mean, powerful, smart, intelligent woman. But the westernised version obviously don't quite portray her in the same way. They they kind of romanticise her a little bit, that she's this kind of partially frivolous woman, you know, a little bit empty-headed. So, what kind of ruler was she? I mean, can we expand a little bit on that?
2: Yeah, I mean, she spoke, she spoke at least eight languages. It might have been, you know, a dozen. But um, so yeah she she's she's obviously very uh, smart and, and and intelligent um her rule is is also um strict so so there's no space for um for, for people to go against against her um she's also got um uh, advice from from um, sort of a council so she doesn't she does have a council she doesn't make decisions all alone um and then she's also got a huge foreign policy interest in today's terms uh, through those relationships um, perhaps those relationships are not quite um, um, all perfect so so with um, she doesn't quite have the, the, a good relationship with Herod for example which which is quite an interesting um, um, way of thinking of history and when we think of Herod as, as a kind of, kind of biblical figure who, who wanted to kill um, um, the first ones at, at Christ's time so there's a kind of Hmm. weird overlap there isn 't there in terms of timing you don 't think of, of cleopatra and, and and the and the uh, and the biblical stories he, um, so she didn 't have perfect relationships um, with everyone and and actually one of her key foreign policies was to take over the world
1: oh, right. <laughs> okay. so, so,
2: so when we think of, of ambition but also of perhaps um, a kind of almost a tragic uh, hero. Downfall, right? Overambition and overreaching, um, and 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 maybe that lends itself to the kinds of readings that we that we then get about Cleopatra um, as a as a seductress, as somebody ambitious, because that's something that we've seen historically um, um, in popular culture with with women, isn't it? And um, that the the best example of that is probably Eve, who overreaches, tries to get more knowledge than than she should right in the in the uh, in the old testament um and and as a result of popular culture is this seductress who uh, causes um, the downfall of of humankind in Cleopatra's case of um, of an empire of sorts do
1: you know what I, I really want to know a little bit more did she piss Herod off or did he piss her off sorry to be so <laughs> um
2: it's it's not you see, it's, it's a similar issue to, to everything else we know about Cleopatra, is that it's recorded in Roman sources, which we might get onto, I guess. That Most of what we know about her has basically uh, dis- um, come through the Roman sources. So Ptolemaic Alexandria is underwater, right? It's drowned. It's, it's, it's the, the library, um, so, so that's the old Alexandria, right? To be clear, it's the, it's the Alexandria of her time, no longer exists. We've got modern Alexandria. Um, with this magnificent library that we talked about, right. Um, is, is burnt, um, and destroyed numerous times, but in particular, um, in, uh, 48 BC, um, during her time when, when Caesar's army is accused of burning it down, right. Um, whether that's on purpose as part of their warfare tactic or whether it's actually, um, just as a result of the, of the um, you know, the, the firing and so on. But, um, Plutarch describes that as carnage, right? And he, he blames Caesar's army for burning it. So the point I'm get, getting at is that with ancient Alexandria disappeared and with the library that presumably had information about her in it, burnt and destroyed, we have very little Egyptian evidence, right? For, for, for who and what she was. And as a result, it's uh, predominantly the Roman historians and the Roman historians, apart from the fact that they, the the, the main texts like Plutarch are written after her death, right, not during her lifetime, they also present her in a certain way, and uh, and that certain way is 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 as um, as has, has had a has had an effect on how we see her until today, including um, that she was uh, seducing these great Roman leaders because they had to find a way of making making their two heroes Caesar and Antony. Um, faultless, right? They had to find a way of making them um, um, not the ones to blame. It has to be this woman, right? And how how can a woman make them go astray or make alliances with her apart from through seduction? <laughs> and, and so the most common story that we have about uh, Herod um, is actually that um, Cleopatra tries to seduce him on his way through Egypt um, and um, that Antony, uh, being a friend of his, um, um it doesn't quite work out and and um and 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 he because he's friends with anthony he doesn't quite like what what she's done um so that that's that's the most common kind of um uh, story about what happened with 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 her.
0: Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So she does actually ally herself
1: with Mark Antony as one of her policy goals, doesn't she?
2: Yeah, um, she she persuades him to expand his empire, Antony, into that kind of region. Um, um, and and to um, also give her parts of of, of the Middle East, so um, sort of the Levant area um, is, is something that she she starts she wants to rule, and she gets Antony to give to her, and, and Antony's um, um, is is her sort of new alliance. So once once she has uh, been with Caesar um, politically and and through marriage. They have a son who's Caesarian. And once Caesar is assassinated, that's a, that sort of famous assassination, she tries to install young Caesarian um, as, as leader in Rome. That provokes the wrath of Octavian, who's the heir apparent, right? Um, and, and, and Octavian expects to assume power. Um, and that's when um, Mark Antony, who's sort of the one-time deputy of Caesar, um, begins this um, political alliance and, and, and indeed romantic relationship with Cleopatra uh, in order for, for, for them to try to, to take over um, that Octavian you know, ultimately defeats, defeats Cleopatra. Um, but it goes back to the point we were saying earlier that it was Octavian, so her enemy, it was the writing from Octavian's period that we have today. Right, So it's the writing from Octavian's period that's had the most impact on how we perceive Cleopatra and what we know about her today. And that's led to that kind of um, the reputation uh, that she has. All of our main sources are, are, are from, from that period.
1: So then it kind of all goes wrong, doesn't it? When she falls in love with Mark Antony, because it ends up bringing her and his downfall, doesn't it?
2: The, the, the issue really is that the Roman Senate, Right, we we know how important the Roman Senate is, or um, you know um, h- how impactful that that can be, because that's the kind of consensus of the the, the, the Roman the Rome Rome was built on. Right, the Senate um, they they declare war essentially against Cleopatra. So it's like it's like being in Parliament and um, these days, and they declare that they're going to do foreign intervention in in, in, in another country. So the Roman Senate declares war. Um, and and, they, and then they they have these this naval battle uh, which defeats both both Antony and Cleopatra, um, and um, and obviously at that stage we think Cleopatra starts starts to uh, to flee. Um, th- there's also something to be said perhaps about um, uh, the the popularity of, of Antony in comparison to Caesar. So Caesar is perhaps um, in Egypt anyway in Alexandria. Um, there, there was some popularity to him but once once anthony comes in um it's it's perhaps not not quite the same with the same ease that she can she can manipulate the situation
1: i think everybody's going to want to know this part it's all about her death isn't it because if you if anybody watches any of the tv programs or the films that are out there her death is probably the most overdramatized moment can you tell us what happened actually happened versus what is always portrayed in films and TV programs
2: I'm not sure I can tell you exactly what happened but I wasn't there reporting <laughs> but we can, we, 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 can um, we, we can we can think about it in terms of um, how how the writing of the time is is uh, is developing like I said um, she's depicted for example as somebody who, who's a manipulator uh, as somebody who's a seductress um and and we have strabo i think is is the first person to 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 write about about her death is is um a greek roman uh philosopher and and he writes two possibilities so one of them is the snake the which would have been uh, an egyptian um um uh, viper um cobra sorry cobra um as as um what she poisoned herself with or he writes that she might have taken poison through a pin uh, or a kind of needle so so we've got even in the very first account some some uncertainty and the rest is the kind of history after that um, that we we don't know quite whether it was through the, the the snake or it wasn't as as the first sources tell us now if it was uh there's a reason for that um which is that the cobra is a royal symbol in, in in at that time so it's a royal death right the cobra is the sacred servant of the sun god and is also the royal protector so she she uses a, an important symbol to the egyptian people at the time to take her life right so it's not quite oh if she is a snake then it's highly sexual and if she's a snake then she's using it for a very kind of theological and um political purpose um now another possibility she didn't use a snake but she instructed that people uh find out that she used the snake right so because for that reason so that it's a royal and holy death um what's more important um is actually that that her suicide can be interpreted as an act of pride um a political act as well because um what she didn't want is to be paraded around Rome as a prisoner, right? So she dies on her own terms. If if she hadn't died there, she would have been paraded, and humiliated around Rome, which I don't think she'd have accepted for herself. And so there there is a there is also a um, a different motive for the suicide. It's not quite just dying over this man. Um, the the um, yeah. So 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 there's 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 uncertainty. But the, the last thing I'd mention here is. even where Plutarch writes about the asp or the snake, he talks about it stinging her at her arm. And the word arm is repeated at least four times in that passage. Um, And then what we have by the time we get to Shakespeare and by the time we get to Renaissance art and then today the popular culture, well right, it's moved from the arm hasn't it? Um, It's moved from the arm to the breast. Um, and moving it from the arms to the breast is is not entirely innocent, right? Um, And and in in many accounts, you know, um, the nipple, not just the breast, Um, it suggests um, a kind of um, sexuality, Um, it suggests a kind of um, um, femme fatale idea, right? Um, So so there's plenty to say about the suicide, i still haven't answered the question have i
1: no <laughs> so no it's a... fine keep, do you know what i'm really, i'm interested and i'm i'm guaranteeing you that everybody else is sitting here in intent, going come cool, on keep going keep talking keep talking don't stop
2: what, what i'd say is is um the, the the baggage that comes with cleopatra through popular culture through um art uh through um um you know the the, the, the various depictions of her over time um, have really changed what the facts might be um, to the extent that the suicide is probably, as you said, the most memorable moment of somebody who lived a very full, um, influential life.
1: I kind of, part, part of me does wish that it was so over dramatic, but knowing what really happened, it was probably something really simplistic and basic at the end of the day.
2: Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's the, 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 it's, it's the reason for it that's probably most important. Um, and if it is a snake or if she instructed people to say it's a snake, it's probably the, the reasons that a snake is, has the, uh, is, is an important symbol that's most important. But what we can't forget is that Cleopatra is eff- effectively a mirror for people's own agendas and people's own, own ideas. Um, and and um, that's, that's one such example.
1: So we've already spoken about this, obviously the Roman perception of Cleopatra because, well, it's not very positive um, because the propaganda was so rife during her reign and even after her death.
2: Yeah, um, like I said, they they have to prove in some way um, that she was unnatural. Um, Whether that's unnatural in a a kind of weird sense or whether it's unnatural in a kind of unnatural beauty sense, but what, what she has to have done is something unnatural in order to seduce or in order to um, cause the downfall of two of their greatest heroes in Julius Caesar and Antony. But Plutarch does talk about her as a manipulator who loved power. Cassius Dio writes that she was capable of um, insatiable passion, right? Um, And um, there's a mixture of what I'd say is loathing but also kind of respect um but it's 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 embedded in these political motivations what, what we can call propaganda or what we can call a smear campaign um it's entirely gendered and patriarchal which we can't forget right um she's not just beautiful she's a temptress she's a drunk um and and she's eroticized um and um and like i said we we also have the lack of, of of evidence that we can um uh, there's, a, there's a lack of evidence right um, to, to counter that with. What we usually get our um, information from is going to be a physical objects and b historical sources um, and, and physical objects um, like I said the coins and so on um, the, the history um, of that place it's, it's because it was drowned or because it's been lost or because the library has been burnt um, in ancient Alexandria <clears throat> we, 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 we have less physical evidence to go by. Um, but we, we, we have to rely on, on things like the Bible, classics um, uh, for, for history in general in that period. And only in the last few centuries has Egyptology kind of taken real flight again and, and uh, people tried to read the Egyptian history literally off the walls. Um, the second thing apart from physical objects is historical sources. And like I said, the problem with those is that most of them are Roman. But if we, um, there are under-researched and uh, and frankly neglected um, Arabic sources, Um, so medieval manuscripts um, in Arabic, um, there are some that refer to um, Cleopatra as a virtuous scholar. So that's um, um, al-Mas'udi in um, the 10th century. He writes about her in Arabic, and, and he writes that she was a sage and a philosopher. Uh, she um, she elevated the ranks of the scholars and enjoyed their company. She wrote books on medicine, right? Um, and, and what's interesting about these Arabic manuscripts is the absence of any reference to her beauty, uh, which is remarkable considering the way that's put on it elsewhere. And for me, a second fascinating thing is the impression that we have that Islamic texts, Um, are going to be patriarchal and and anti-polytheistic because actually they show quite huge respect for this woman um, and for ancient Egypt's um, polytheistic culture, right? Unlike the Roman sources who talk about it as like paganism and so on. Um, So the whole thing requires that context, but I I think we're still going to find more out about about, uh, Cleopatra
1: find that really interesting especially when you mention about the idea of beauty because uh, as you said they've discovered coins especially in 2007 that show her that she wasn't this incredible beauty but she had a, what was it if i'm not mistaken a slightly elongated nose and she wasn't the standard beauty of the time
2: that's right um what well, i am um, for the bbc documentary i did i um i i, I had to look at one of the bronze coins, and it was great. Um, you know, it was, it was a nice moment for me where, where I'd been reading so much about her and looking at all these paintings of her, and then suddenly I was at the coin that uh, of, of, of her, uh, of her period, holding it. And um, what we have to remember about coins is, is she would have... It, it, on one hand, it doesn't necessarily look like her, the coin, right? Um, as in coins are not necessarily... Um, spot-on portraits but on the other hand she would have had to approve of the coin so it's Cleopatra as she would have approved to be uh, seen or approved to be depicted Um, there's more context to this idea of how Cleopatra looks so like I said she's a a kind of reflection of people's own agendas so when it comes to art in the middle ages there are these beauty ideals right and and beautiful means blonde and so um when we look at the neoclassical uh, kind of uh, paintings and all these um um, paintings from 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 that period she's very clearly blonde right and then as we come to um uh, colonialism um she becomes more passive in those paintings right she she becomes someone who's lying down and the europeans are coming to save her or to conquer her, whichever, whichever you, you, you think it is. Um, then even when we get to a slave trade, she becomes this object. There's a, a really interesting page from Jerome where she's she's um, a slave and she's been examined by, by Caesar. Um, so how she looks has bothered people uh, over time, but not just in terms of beauty, the point I'm trying to get at. It's bothered people in terms of how it can reflect um, their political and social concerns of that time. As far as the coin goes, like you said, she's, uh, her nose is a bit uh, bigger. She's, she's got kind of curly hair, which I was thrilled about myself. Um, <laughs> and, um, and, and she's not the sort of stereotypical beauty that we would associate today. That's not to say that she wasn't uh, um, beautiful in terms of personality, mind, charisma, um, and so on. Right, Beauty is about much more than, than, um, than the profile.
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us because that was, that was so interesting, trying to dispel some of these myths that even I myself have had about Cleopatra and finally being able to understand them more through her beauty, through what she was truly like, this incredibly passionate, smart, intelligent, worldly ambitious woman so thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me join us tomorrow because jamie goodall will be here to talk about pirates how exciting is this pirates in the chesapeake bay specifically and privateers as well because it turns out there's not much of a distinction between the two so join us for that Don't forget, you can become a patron of History Hack for as little as a dollar a month. Just go to www.historyhack.podbean.com. It will help us keep going in the aftermath of the coronavirus, and we would really appreciate it, as we would love to do so. There now follows a public service announcement.
2: I'm Horatia Hornblower, and I'm Archie Kennedy. The simplest gift you can give in these troubled times is to obey orders. Indeed. The regulations are very clear in the matter. It is the duty of all of us to remain at anchor until the little people in the talking box signal you otherwise. You don't want to end up getting flogged. Good day to you. Good day to you both.
0: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans.